0: Raise your hand if you didn't get a handout. There should be two sheets. They're still going around. If you need a seat, there's a couple extras. Probably one more. There's one on the couch here if you need one, if you need to come up. Welcome to Communitas. Tonight we're going to be talking about God's heart for the poor. Topic I haven't heard a lot about, and I truthfully, I'll bring you a little into my the background of this. Um, and at the end of this meeting, I'm going to give you guys an invitation to an outreach that's happening at the end of this month called the King's Banquet. And I want—I just want to share with you my, my own personal journey. I, I don't feel like I have a heart for the poor, and I feel like God's disrupting my life and giving me one, and I feel like this is just a journey that as I prepared for this message, I'm in no way saying I'm there, but I'm saying yes to the degree I know how, and so that's my hope tonight is that God would release grace. So if you have that hand, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word of God. Father, we need your spirit tonight. We just acknowledge our dependence upon you. God, I ask that you would release a revelation of your heart to every one of us. God, how you feel about this topic. I just pray, God, that you would give me grace to make known the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. God, that he would captivate our hearts tonight. That he would be put on display. That he would be glorified. That we would make much of him tonight. God, we invite you here. I just ask you to give us grace to focus to stay engaged with what you're saying and doing. We just bind every distraction. And we give you praise. Amen. So James chapter 2, if you have that handout, I'm going to start by just going through a few different things because I want to frame this, this message tonight. Like most messages, um, our tendency is to fall into one of two ditches. It's like you go bowling, right? and uh, If you're not a real good bowler, you need to put some bumpers in the gutters because otherwise you start bowling and you find your way into one of those two ditches. And even as we talk about the topic of the poor, I sense that many times when this topic is brought up, we fall into one ditch or the the other. And I just want to address those to give us some understanding. First, I'm just going to say, who are the poor? I'm just going to give us a definition. This is no way exhaustive. Um, But the definition we're going to work with is that it's just basically the poor are those who are dependent upon others for their basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. And just so we don't think that this just happens somewhere else, there's an estimated two and a half to three and a half million homeless people in in this nation that are living on the streets that don't have shelter. Um, There's another 35 million roughly that live around the poverty line um, as defined by our nation's government, and this is a big topic when it comes to the heart of God, and I feel that as we're asking God as a community for his heart, that we can't ignore um, the overwhelming material in the scriptures given to this topic. So I'm going to give you the two qualifications. I feel like when we, when this issue is brought up, I don't know what point it is on yours, because mine are different than yours, sorry. But... Uh, the two ditches I feel like we face often are the issue of avoidance and the issue of humanism. And so I want to talk about those for a second so that as we go to the scriptures, we have just a little bit of a foundation. The first issue is avoidance. Honestly, this is where I've lived most of my life. Poverty hasn't really touched me um, in any significant way. Uh, I grew up in a fairly wealthy family and uh, never really was any <laughs> in a situation where I didn't know where my next meal was going to come from. And what happens in this with this issue is that we actually begin to neglect the clear biblical mandate to serve love and preach the gospel to the poor. You remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 when he stood up and read the scroll of Isaiah? The first thing he said was, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is when he's beginning his public ministry. And he's quoting one of the most famous messianic prophecies, Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to Who? He said, I'm coming, and one of my mandates is to preach the gospel to the the poor. And so as we are followers of him, we want to join in that and say, God, I know I'm not there, but show me and give me your heart. And that's what I pray tonight he does. And many strongholds facilitate this view, including pride, lust, greed, fear, apathy, complacency, or laziness. And the truth is it takes revelation of God's heart to tear down these mindsets. And what I mean by that is the issue in our lives is not an issue of not having enough information. Revelation is supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit when when God actually reveals truth to your spirit. It's not mental gymnastics that produces that. It's the Spirit of God gracing us to enter into embracing his heart. The second issue, and I want to hit on this for a second, because this is a big one in our nation, the issue of humanism. Humanism, uh, the goals of humanism, it says there in number two, may appear similar to biblical virtues on the surface, feeding the poor, caring for the sick, striving for peace. However, beyond the facade, they're two completely different things. The goal of humanism appeals to the supreme worth of man and his rights and makes God irrelevant. Biblical justice, on the other hand, appeals to the supreme worth of Christ, emphasizing that man is utterly depraved and in desperate need of mercy. We're surrounded by a lot of non that are appealing to the feeding of the poor based upon man being at the center. And I want to say, I have it in the next point, something is not unjust because it violates man's rights. Just so you know, the gospel is not about me. Just so you know, I don't actually have any rights. The only right I have is to an eternal separation from God, abiding under the constant eternal torment and the wrath of God. That is what I deserve. And praise God, I'll never get it because of the cross. That This is so important, beloved. God is purging the body of Christ from humanistic gospels. Let me just describe that. Oftentimes, the most, most of the time when Jesus is presented in this nation, he's presented... As here's what Jesus can do for you. Here's how Jesus can meet your felt needs. Because it's all about you. Rather than the biblical gospel that appeals to the supreme worth of Jesus. And says even if Jesus didn't give me salvation. He is worthy of my worship based purely on the fact that he is God. That he created me and he is good. That's the gospel. And so... We, we feed the poor not because man himself is entitled to it. We feed the poor because not ministering justice is to violate the commandment of God. Okay? There's a huge difference. And I want to tell you something. We're moving into a day when the when the Antichrist will feed the poor to get them to take the mark of the beast. Just so you know. The devil will actually disrupt people's lives, cause problems, and then offer them the solution. <laughs> Seemingly, void of Jesus. That's not what we're about. But on the other side, I can't come along and say I'm a Christian and want to meet their spiritual needs and neglect their physical needs. First John deals with that. He said, James deals with it too. He says, you know, if you tell someone, be clothed, be full, but you don't do anything about it, there's something wrong. But it doesn't stop at that. We need to understand that we, the humanism is a huge enemy of the gospel. How many of you know, I'll just give you a few, uh, Comparisons to humanism and, and the biblical worldview. Humanism says make a name for yourself. The biblical view says do, all, do everything for the glory of God. Humanism says God helps those who helps them help themselves. That's independent. Whereas the biblical truth says God helps those who are dependent on him and take the initiative to trust and obey him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Humanism says make a lot of money for your own pleasure. The Bible says don't lay up treasures on earth, but be a good steward in expanding the kingdom of God. Humanism says it's a dog-eat-dog world, so I've I got to use whatever method I can to succeed. The Bible says do everything for the glory of God and don't yield to compromise, no matter what it costs. Humanism says my job is the most important priority. The Bible says godly character in me and my family and friends is central. So as we come to this topic of the poor and God's heart for the poor, I just, I just feel like we need to set those, those two boundaries so that we can deal with this and understand that I'm, the reason I'm pleading with us to get God's heart is not because man's ultimately entitled to this, but because we violated the way God has commanded us to interact with one another and those who are made in his image. This is really important. We don't want a humanistic gospel. God will We will become the enemy of God if we preach a humanistic gospel. He will actually fight against us. That's what he actually says. I'm going to fight against you with the sword of my mouth. And so I want to be on his side. But but there's another ditch that says I avoid that. I act like it's not an issue and I avoid the Bible. Let me just say, there are streams in the body of Christ who emphasize how God wants you to be You know, Rich, he wants you to drive a BMW, have nice clothes, date nice, you know, beautiful women, and and live in comfort. And what happened is you can camp out and you can find verses to try to support that view. But if you look at the whole counsel of God, you will get a completely different picture. Okay? And so we need to understand that we've been fed a gospel that's been all about us. And it's caused us to neglect something so central as God's heart for the poor. Let me just say, there's two facets to the gospel that should be on your sheet that are essential to maintain this narrow path. The first facet is a passion for the glory of God. That is saying, Jesus, you don't sit enthroned in heaven for the happiness of man. I was created for the glory of God. I am created that through every breath, and Paul goes on to say, whether eating or drinking, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. He's saying down to the last detail of your life, what you choose to eat tomorrow, we want to make those decisions in light of how can Jesus' glory be put on display. We want to be passionate for the glory of God, amen? it's all about God. God is so glorious. He is worthy of everything I have. Jesus is the most beautiful, majestic, loving, faithful, trustworthy person that's ever walked the earth. And I love it because Jesus, when he came to the planet, when God stepped foot on this planet, he embraced poverty. Why? He was saying something. He was saying, these are the people I'm close to. I mean, have you ever thought about these verses? I don't ever hear these preached on, but Jesus said, foxes have holes in the ground and birds have straw nests and I'm God and I don't even have a place to lay my head. That that came in the context of someone asking him, can we follow you? He said, just so you know, I want you to count the cost. Here's how I'm living in this age. And I'm saying something about that. I'm saying I'm saying something about what I value in my kingdom. Right now we live in a culture that values independence, that values self-sufficiency, and Jesus is saying, that's not what I value. I, I value and I'm near to those who are broken, who are aware of their need, and cast all their cares upon me. He goes, those are the people that get grace. I actually resist the people that think they can do it without me. So God, give us a passion for your glory. Secondly, this is a legitimate aspect of the gospel. You see that verse there, First Corinthians that I shared. Secondly, is a compassion for the needs of man. Beloved, the gospel is the best news ever when it comes to the need of man. And what happens is, if I neglect either of these, I fall into a ditch. If I neglect the glory of God, I adopt humanism. It's all about man. But if I neglect the needs of man, I fall into legalism. And so the truth is, Jesus, in Matthew 9, when he saw the multitudes, he had just healed them. It says he was actually moved with compassion for them. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The gospel meets the needs of man. But it's, that's not primary. When you think about the Lord's Prayer, I was talking with a brother about this today. He was saying, you know, I've been around a lot of people that p- pray in the flesh a lot. You know, me, l- my laundry list of God do this, 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 and they're telling him what to do, and it's all about them. And he goes, what's the answer to that? And I felt like the Lord just gave me a revelation that the structure of the Lord's prayer is prophetic. The Lord's prayer starts out with the glory of God. Father, your name be hallowed. You're in heaven. You rule. You're God. I'm not. Your kingdom come. This is about your reign. This is about your plan. Let your will be done. But then... He, he transitions into the, the genuine need of humanity. And he says, you can pray. I need bread, I need forgiveness, and I need leading and deliverance. Those are genuine prayers. We, he's not neglecting those, but what Jesus is doing is he's starting saying, let's get the big picture. It's about the glory of God. It's about his kingdom. It's about his rule. And then he's a loving father and he wants to take care of your needs. You can ask him. You can ask him for forgiveness. You can ask him for daily bread. And then he finishes and closes with, to yours be the kingdom, right? So he ends with worship. So he starts with worship. He ends with worship. So that being said, the needs of man are important. And we want to meet those needs. But we also want to meet their spiritual needs. The next point. Okay, we're going to look at James 2. Hallelujah. James chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to give you a little context about James. I love James. I love it and I'm terrified of it at the same time. I'll tell you why. James is one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand and one of the most difficult to obey. James is the half-brother of Jesus. There's like 26 plus quotations from the Sermon on the Mount in this, in this gospel, or in this epistle, I mean. This is rubber meets the road Christianity. It's very heavy on duty, very minimal on doctrine. James chapter 2, he's just got done kind of giving the theme of the book, and that's that we'd be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he talks about what true undefiled religion is, and he says in verse 1, my brethren, he's talking to Christians, this is written to the, the church, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. So he starts in chapter 2 and he gives us a command. He says, guys, don't hold this faith with partiality. And what partiality is, is it's favoritism. It's giving favoritism to someone based upon their externals. And what's cool is James gives this command, don't hold this with partiality. And then he gives them what seems like... Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Let me read that again. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? There is a choosing in the heart of God. And he has actually chosen... People that are poor and needy and lacking the things that we often take for granted, and he says those are the very people that I want that i 'm going to choose them to be rich in faith and to actually inherit my kingdom. Part of it is he 's saying something about the kingdom he 's saying what he said in John eighteen my kingdom's not like this world systems right now in our our world. I don't know if you know this, but the meek are not inheriting the earth. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. Right now, meekness gets you put to the end of the line, and self-exaltation brings you to the top. There are not many leaders in our country and in our world that are walking in extraordinary meekness. But Jesus says, my kingdom, when it comes, it prizes meekness. And that's why it was so offensive when Jesus came as the ruler of the earth, as the Messiah, and voluntarily laid down his life. To the Jews, what is that? That's, a, that's an offense. That's a stumbling block. They trip over that. They go, "What? wait, 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 wait. That's, that can't be the God I'm following. And, and Jesus says, you missed, you missed my heart. I'm coming because I am actually bringing the solution to poverty. Ultimately, at the root of poverty is sin. And it's not going to be done away with in this age. But that does not minimize our desire and our need to minister to them. So he's inviting us into that. Paul embraced this. Jesus embraced this. And they embraced it. Jesus often pointed to the age to come. When the apostles came... Do you remember that story with the rich young ruler? He comes... And I just want to say, money is a massive issue in all of our lives. God is dealing with me about money. How many of you know money can actually be a salvation issue for somebody? The rich young ruler, money was a salvation issue. Jesus said, you got one thing left to do. You need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says he was grieved because he had a lot of stuff. And the clearest way for us to actually examine where we're at with Jesus is to look at our pocketbook. That is usually the last thing that's converted in someone's life. Here's what we've got to understand. And the point I was saying is after that, Peter comes and says, what about us, Lord? We've actually done that. We actually did what that guy didn't do. And I love what Jesus says. He goes, you're going to receive in this life but eternal life in the age to come. And he points them to... Here's what the rich young ruler... I didn't plan on talking about this, but here's what he missed. The rich young ruler missed something. He, he, he lacked vision, and so he actually missed out on a far greater reward. Let me just say this. Anything Jesus asks you to lay down, what you will inherit in return cannot even compare. It cannot compare. But what happened was, he was blinded by what the Bible calls the deceitfulness of riches. The reason riches are deceitful is because it causes people to put their trust in something other than God. And what happened was he missed out on a reward that I could hardly imagine what it would be like in the age to come. If he didn't repent. To hold on to something that was so temporary, so fleeting. And Jesus was saying, he was coming and living a life saying, If you want greatness in the age to come, this is how I live. This is how we're going to live. We're going to live in self-sacrifice. We're going to live in self-denial. We're going to be extravagantly giving. Why? When I give in this age, people go... What? You must be living for something else. And I go, exactly. First Peter says this. You tell them about the hope you have. You're ready to tell every single person about the hope you have in Jesus. And you say, yeah, you know what? I'm not living for this age. You want to know why? There's a rock coming that's going to destroy every kingdom. It's going to fill the earth. And those who are humble now will be exalted then. The last will be first and the first will be last. That's what he's saying. So the question is, are we looking for greatness in this age? Or are our eyes fixed on the age to come? That's the motivation throughout the entire gospel and epistles. Paul, the apostle and Titus, says this. He says, I'm, I'm pleading with you to walk in godliness and purity and righteousness in this present age, which is evil. The prince of the power of the air is still operating. He says, here's how. Looking for the blessed hope. Looking for the coming kingdom looking for the day when Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and he'll actually reward your humility. He will actually reward you for embracing his heart for those that have been cast aside by society. See, the world says this. I'm only going to be in relationship with someone to the degree they can benefit me. That's why they don't care about the poor. That's why they don't care about the poor because that person cannot help me. And James is addressing that. He says, don't show partiality. Don't act like the world. We don't value people because of what they can give us. We value them because Jesus created them. He shed his blood on the cross for them. And he wants to raise them to life and give them a place in the kingdom. That's why we value people. Not because man is awesome and we're just so great and we just deserve awesome things. I love this verse. Let me just say this. We need an understanding of faith. Here's, I think, where sometimes we get tripped up. Some of the streams in the body of Christ, I think here's where they get caught up. They recognize valuable, genuine promises of God. But what they miss is the time frame on those promises. Hebrews 11 says this. Hebrews 11:13, 13. Talking about the greats in faith, it says they died in faith, not receiving the promise. But they saw them afar off, and they were assured of them, and they embraced and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in this earth. The greatest fulfillment and manifestation of faith is not in this age, it's in the age to come. If you get caught up thinking, if I have faith, everything will go well for me, you'll fall into deception, you'll compromise. How well did it go for the prophet Isaiah? It's going to go really good for him in the age to come. Trust me. He got sawn in half for his testimony. He got sawn in half because he was unwilling to to leave the truth and abandon it. It actually says that they avoided a a deliverance, a temporal deliverance, because they knew they were going to obtain a better resurrection. There's a day coming where if you don't have a vision of the age to come, you'll compromise (laughs) because they're giving you something now. And Jesus says, when you feed the poor, when you get my heart from the poor, here's what I'm imparting to you. I'm imparting understanding of eternity and what I value and I will reward forever. You tracking? That's just a side point. Faith often is the very thing that leads you into difficulty, not the thing that necessarily delivers you from it temporarily." That's the, whole, that's the whole theme behind Hebrews 11. He's saying, look at all these great men and women of faith and look at what they went through. But guess what? They saw a city, a heavenly country, the new Jerusalem. They knew it was coming. They knew ha- they had an inheritance in it. And Jesus is saying, this is what the poor need to hear. Did you know that the good news is far better news to someone in poverty? than it is to- uh, let, me just, let me just give you a practical example. By the way, I just want to introduce, I got, I got my buddy Blaine and Lewis back there. You guys just want to give them a wave? These guys are, these guys I get to work with on the streets. They're both a part of Trinity Works. Lewis is an evangelist and, and Blaine's Papa. Papa Blaine. And they're going to share a little bit in, uh, afterwards about the, the King's Banquet, which is the, the outreach we're doing at the end of the month. But, um, on the streets, I'll just say this. I've, as far as I was trying to remember, because I don't, I don't want to exaggerate. I want to be just totally genuine on this testimony. As far as my knowledge, I don't remember a time, well, maybe one or two times, where demons were manifesting in someone that a poor person refused ministry, a poor person refused prayer and hearing the gospel and and meeting their needs. I've had hundreds, if not thousands, of wealthy business people say, "I want nothing to do with God. I don't need Him. I'm fine." And Jesus goes. I need to declare something to them. Go minister to the poor. Let's just, let's just picture this for a second. If I have a debt that is unpayable, inf- infinite amount, but I have the person that was aware that they needed it or the person that thought they were in pretty good shape. And see, that is the gift of poverty. Poverty is not a blessing in and of itself. But what it is, is most people that are dealing with poverty are aware of their need. And Jesus says, these are the people that are going to inherit the kingdom. Unless we become like them, unless we begin to minister to them, unless we begin to take on that same spirit where we become poor in spirit, we won't enter the kingdom either. I love because you know what pride won't minister to someone that's poor because pride will make 15 excuses of why I'm justified in not meeting their need because they got themselves there but what pride fails to realize is apart from the grace of God I'd be in the same situation there is nothing in and of myself that's kept me from doing anything on earth apart from the grace of God and if to the degree you think so you're deceived if you think wow my life's pretty good I'm pretty comfortable I think I'm in good shape. And you don't recognize your absolute, utter dependence upon God for everything, you're in deception. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can get along okay. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing, not a single thing. I cannot do a single thing apart from God. And it wasn't until I came into that place of desperation, I wasn't in a place of poverty per se. I was broke, in debt. I slept in my car many times. I've, I've, I've touched the edge of it. I've been around some people that have experienced it. And it was in that place that I realized, wow, that was a pretty good deal that was being offered to me. That's what happened with the prodigal. Hallelujah. Deceitfulness of riches. Yeah, that's, I already shared that. Let me just share about this for a second. I got so convicted. This fall, some of you guys know I, I spent a little bit of time in Papua New Guinea, about three weeks. And uh there was three of us ministering from the u s at this large conference. It was a nationwide conference there was about ten thousand people there and I had this experience that totally rocked me and i 'm so thankful to the Lord that He gave it to me. so we get there and we 're being looked to as the ones that are supposed to be ministering and they 're taking you know great care of us they 're putting us in this nice house, and someone 's cooking our meals and i'm i'm feeling like a little bit like this is not the normal i 'm used to like you know brown rice at the fire barn, you know. Not being waited on. And one day we go to the grocery store and this, this guy who even, this is a very poor nation by the way, extreme poverty, I think the average income is something like $6,000 US a year. Um, you know, some people spend that on caribou, that much on caribou a year. Oh boy, that was convicting. I think I convicted myself. And I'm in this situation, and I'm thinking, you know, yeah, this is awesome. And, and I'm, go, I'm walking through the grocery store, and this man approaches me who's definitely living on the streets, doesn't have shoes, clothes are tattered. He has a bag of broccoli, and, and he's, he's not, he doesn't speak English. And we have some translators, and he's trying to communicate. He's coming up, and he's just standing by me. And I'm like asking the Lord what's going on here. And I'm, I'm asking him if I can minister to him. And, and then the people we were with were like shooing him away, like get away from us kind of thing. And that night I got home and the Holy Spirit whispered to something that just rocked me. He said, Clint, I came to visit you today. Guess who he came to visit me as? And I was not immediate to respond to his needs and, and, to, and to serve him and to go low and ask him how I can bless him. I wasn't, I wasn't quick to do that. I wish that would be, maybe be a better testimony if I did. But the truth was, Jesus said this in Matthew 25, he says, in the degree that you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it to me. Now I'm not advocating that we need to run around and just respond to every need that's available. You'll burn out. But what we do need to do is ask God for his heart and we need to obey him. I'll tell you another story. I'm driving by, this is in the middle of winter. This was actually up on Snelling, Snelling and E2, there's it the E, the Bethel exit and I'm on the way to a meeting, probably some good Jesus thing, you know, and I drive by these two women. It's the middle of winter and they're walking along the road and the Holy Spirit says, pick them up. And I think to myself, you've all had these conversations with God. I think of the five reasons that's not a good idea right now and how somebody else can do it. And I get maybe a half mile down the road and it's like, I'm so grieved because the presence of God is gone. You know what I mean? He's just like, Whoop, okay, you can do that on your own. Keep going. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is worth it. I'm going to be late. Forget it. I turn around. I remember picking these ladies up, and they get in the car, and one of them starts crying. And I go, what's going on? And she said, she said, we just asked God that if he was real, he would send someone to pick us up. And I thought to myself, oh, God, I just about missed that. I hope you would have answered it with someone else because I was almost disobedient. And that often happens when I see the needs of someone, I think to myself why they got themselves there and I'm justified not being Jesus to them. But I'm saying, God, disrupt my life. Even as we approach this outreach, I'm saying, God, I have no grid for what it's like to live in a place of poverty. But your son, who is God, who is exalted to the highest place, who is rich beyond anything we can imagine, he became poor. And if that doesn't convict me, whew, so God's calling us to that place. He wants to manifest his kingdom. I love that verse. I think you have it on there. Luke 16, Jesus says, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God in the sight of God. And I'm just praying that God gives us his heart. I love it. Isaiah 66. Just this phenomenal passage declaring the glory of God. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. What are you going to do for God? Just this majestic picture of the glory of God. He sits in heaven. His footstool is this earth which is massive to us, the universe he holds in the you know the span of his hand, and then he says, "But on this one I will look." It's like, oh, okay, that caught my attention. The glorious, majestic God pays attention to some somebody. Who? Wow, Lord, who, who is that? That'd be valuable information. He says in Isaiah sixty-six, he says, "On the poor and the contrite and those who tremble at my word." You want to get near the presence of God, you want to see God move, begin to minister to the least of these. Begin to minister to those who the world has said, you have no value in my sight. And God says, I'm going to rise up because they have no one else. Part of the reason God loves the poor so much is because he's their only option. And he loves making known his glory through the foolish things. The foolish ones. The cast-asides. Because no poor person, when they're used of God, is going to take glory for it. They're aware of I feel like I got a little bit to that place in my life where I was aware of here's what all my effort and labor got me. it was brokenness, depression, bondage, anger, sin in every in every asset okay, you have your marker in Luke 14 let's transition there and then we'll wrap it up hallelujah Jesus. I love it. In Luke 6, Jesus actually says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. I love that. Oh, that's just... Jesus, did you really say that? I thought if I followed you, that meant I was going to be healthy, never had a problem, never suffer, everything was going to go well for me, everyone was going to like me. Jesus says, woe to those who all men speak well of. They're doing something wrong. Because I'm the master, and I came and they killed me. So don't think that you being my servant are going to be treated better than the master. Okay, so we're looking at this parable. I'm just going to set the table here and we're going to kind of cruise through this and then get to the invitation. Because I feel like this message, God's going to have you a way you can immediately plug in to His heart for this. So the context, I love Luke. I, I don't have time to, I want to, I'll give you a little bit of background on Luke. Luke's a, the only Gentile author in the entire Bible. He's a physician. And I actually wrote the, the, the gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts. And this gospel is actually coined the charismatic gospel because it actually has more references to the Holy Spirit than both Matthew and Mark combined. Pray, We love the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you guys love him too. Yeah, he's my best friend. Come on, just want to honor him. Okay, so here's, I'll just give you the brief overview of the book of Luke. Uh, book of Luke, you have chapter 1 through 4. Uh, is the first 30 years of Jesus' private life. Then 4.14, he steps into the temple, begins his public ministry. He's hanging out in Galilee. Then, in chapter 9 through 19, it's basically Jesus' journey to Jerusalem to die. And it's teachings that are taking place along this road, this this journey. And we arrive in chapter 14... And it says, now it happened as he went into the house and he had just got done weeping over Jerusalem and how he wanted to gather them. They were unwilling. And then he goes in here to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. And they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, which was a a type of condition where you had fluid in your member. And it was like really painful and like swelling and okay. I'm not a physician, but obviously Luke is because he highlights there 's actually a bunch of healings every five out of every six miracles in the Gospel of Luke is healing, so he was taking a note of it because he knew everything that was going on i 'm sure he was familiar with this condition i mean do you ever do you love the context when you start understanding context in the scripture? things just make sense you just go who 's writing this and why and what 's his deal and why is he painting this picture and so he he comes in to eat dinner and there 's a certain man before him. And Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And most likely, they're probably setting him up here, the Pharisees are. They're trying to trap him. They invite him on the Sabbath. They're probably trying to set him up so they can have some accusation because they really don't like him. You know, that's the religious spirit. It's always critical. It's always trying to get you to do something so it can condemn you and etc. cetera. And they kept silent. But he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered saying, which of you having a donkey when he's fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And they couldn't answer him regarding these things. When God asks questions, people can't even answer. I love it. Just ask questions. Just so convicting. Do you know that's what happened when Jesus was 12? It says the the, the religious leaders of the day were in awe at the questions he asked. They marveled. I love it. There's a prophetic insight there. Directing conversations with questions. (laughs) That's just a little evangelism tactic. Okay. So then Jesus goes into a teaching. He says, verse 7, so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. It's kind of like Luke 18, one of those parables you don't really want to have him teaching about you. <laughs> he's teaching this because he's looking around recognizing, man, all these people really like to be up at the front. They really like to be recognized. I'm convicted. I've been there. I've been in that place of insecurity where I want to promote myself and, you know, be seen as sweet. And so, he says to them, when you're invited and you come in, don't sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you and invited to him. But he who invited you, oh wait, sorry. Do not sit in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him and come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is actually a prophet, this is eschatology. Just so you understand the context of this story right here, because we're going to, I'm just setting the table for the next one. He's saying, Who's the king? Has he set a table? Okay? Has he invited people? Okay, is he coming back? And here's what he's saying. If you live this life now in humility and you don't choose the best place in society, in you know, culture, he says, when I come, I'm going to call you up higher. But if you set yourself up higher when I come, it's not going to go good for you because I'm going to take you out of that place. Just so you know, this isn't saying, if you just humble yourself for the next two days, God's going to exalt you and it's going to be great. You're going to be famous. Everything's to be. It's not what he's saying. This is, this is this age and the age to come. If I humble myself in this age, if I live a life of self-denial, if I carry my cross, if I choose to go low, when he comes, he's going to lift me up. That is glorious. I don't care if no man ever recognizes you in this age. Jesus sees the workings of your heart. He sees the times that you take the low road. He sees the time when someone doesn't give you what you deserve. And he goes, that's okay. That's okay. If you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Okay, so that's the point of that. But then he goes on and he says to him who invited him, so he transitions from talking to everyone there to actually the guy who brought him into his house. And he says, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. What? Don't invite the people that can give you anything in return. Don't invite the rich. You're going, this guy is not living the same way I've been taught to live usually we invite the very people who we think can promote us. You know what I'm saying? Those are the people we usually draw near to and try to, you know, manipulate and get in favor with and, you know, maybe they'll recognize me. Jesus says, don't do that. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they can't repay you. You're going, what? That's not the blessing that I thought was a blessing. He goes, when you invite people... Go out of your way to invite the people that can do nothing for you. Why? Because then who 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 ends up repaying you? I love this. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Oh, come on, Jesus. Anybody excited for the resurrection of the just? Anybody excited to receive the reward at that on that day? He says, guys, we're living for that day. And that should motivate us to actually go out of our way to minister to and serve and love the very people who can do nothing for me <laughs> because then at the resu- resurrection of the just, God will repay us. And it says, now he who sat at the table with him heard these things. He got it. Maybe we didn't. He goes, ho, oh, man, blessed is he who's going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Do you know that you're going to sit down at a table with Elijah and Abraham and Moses? Come on. And like Justin Martyr and Clement and the early church fathers and some intercessor from you know the Middle East who's just been faithfully laboring in intercession as like the greatest in the kingdom. There's gonna be a big feast. Ooh Love it. Okay. And he says then he then Jesus responds, So this guy gets it. He goes, That's that's really what I want. I I, I really want to be blessed and eat in the kingdom. And then he tells this parable, and this is where we're gonna end. A certain man had a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, "Come, for all things are now ready." But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said, "I bought a piece of land; I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused." Another said, "I bought five yoke of oxen; I am going to go test them. Ask you to be me excused." Still another, "I've married a wife; therefore, I can't come." Are are any of these things in themselves sin? How did man fall in the beginning? What did, what did they do? What was the physical act? Is eating fruit a sin generally? It is when God says not to. There are things in our lives that are good things that are sin because God has not commanded them. And the other thing that they're a problem is because they can keep us from the true inheritance. These are all good things, but the enemy has used them to actually keep people from entering into the true kingdom. Rich people make a lot of excuses. Poor people have no other option. They don't own any oxen. They don't have a business. They're saying, my only hope is the coming kingdom. And Jesus is teaching that. And the house, they got angry and he said, go out quickly into the streets, the lane, the city... Uh, the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blamed, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Amazing parable. A story about the reward of God for the broken. In God's heart, to invite those people that have no resources, that have nothing to value, to to bring value according to the world, and God says, "You're the exact one I want at the banquet." Go invite them. Go tell them there's a banquet that's coming, because <laughs> they'll actually listen. <laughs> they won't have 15 excuses, good reasons why they're not going to s- abandon themselves to Jesus. I love it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus loves to vindicate the have not. That's why he didn't cater to the haves. Uh, hallelujah. This is so countercultural, guys. This is so countercultural. I want to tell you it's worth it. So God wants the gospel preached to the poor as a sign of how the kingdom is in direct opposition to the ways, systems, and values of this world. And unless we become like them, you know what? A lot of times ministering to the poor is more about God doing something in me than it is even about meeting their needs. Because he could actually meet their needs apart from me, but he's saying, Clint, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you dependence. I want to teach you brokenness. I want to teach you what it looks like to be hungry. So how do we become doers of this word and not hearers only? I'll tell you about a little invitation then we're going to play a video. There's an outreach taking place. It's the second King's Banquet based upon that passage we just read. And it's taking place in downtown Minneapolis the 25th of June. And what's going on, God has put it on the hearts of Trinity Works to invite those exact people. Invite them to an extravagant meal where they get to get fed, they get to get their feet washed, but more importantly, they get to get their heart washed. That's what Jesus wants to do. And he's inviting his church to come and say, we recognize we're not at that place yet, but God do it in us because the Holy Spirit can. And so we're going to ask you guys, we're going to watch this video. And it, this is awesome, man. The last one was done at Club Three Degrees. How many people were there? Anybody here that was at the last King's Banquet? You know A couple there. Awesome. This time we're doing it at a secular hotel. Part of the reason is God said... Do it in front of the world because I want them to know how serious I am about the poor, how much I love the poor. And so we actually get like the first 15 or 20 minutes, we get to share the heart of this outreach with the entire hotel and wait staff and then pray for them. It's going to be glorious. I'm super excited. So let's watch this and I'll come back up.
1: Times. What the Bible describes as the end of times. The signs are all around us. There are wars and rumors of wars. The the nations are in turmoil. The economy is uncertain. And in the midst of that, God is calling His people to a place of real surrender to His purposes. Uh, It's no longer enough anymore for us just to come to church and to sit and to listen to a message and to go back to our ordinary lives. God is challenging each of us, every single believer to step into the fullness of his heart and the fullness of the kingdom, to make our belief and our faith in Christ more than words, but to come into a place of action. The film you're about to see is about an outreach we did last November uh, called The King's Banquet, which was God's way of challenging us to receive his heart for the poor. Um, We had the opportunity to really cry out to him and ask him, God, would you? we don't have a heart for the poor. How do we get it? So God, would you give it to us? And in the process of praying and preparing for this outreach, he did just that. Uh, He gave us a heart for the poor and for the broken in our city. And we believe if you're willing to say yes to God, he'll do the same for you. Then we can be empowered by his spirit to go out and do the works of the kingdom. Because what the world is waiting for is they're waiting for believers who don't just say they believe in Jesus, but are willing to do the works of the kingdom to demonstrate God is alive, he loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. They're waiting to see the reality of Jesus manifest in our lives. I hope this video blesses you, I hope it challenges you, I hope it provokes you, not just to say yes and amen, but to say yes and amen and to get up off your seat and to step into what God's calling you to do, to be part of his move across the nations in this hour.
0: Come up, Blaine's here. Uh, he's going to share a quick testimony about the King's Banquet. and Then we're going to give you guys an opportunity to to respond, to fill out those forms. So Blaine, come and share with us, man. Let's welcome Blaine. First time at Communitas, this guy.
2: Thanks, thanks for having us here. The, um, I, I'm just sharing my what happened in my situation. This was our first time last year. And uh, one of the instructions that we had as part of the follow-up to Luke 14 was from John 13, and that's where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And um, you know, he was—it was real clear that that was what we were invited to offer as part of the ministry of of, of feeding as well. So uh, we had like um, 60 tables, 50 to 60 tables, and every table had a had a host for every three guests so basically everybody um, was able to listen to the stories of the guests that were there and at my table we had a couple from um, New Orleans and a recently divorced woman from South Carolina so during the meal which was actually a four-course meal with uh, testimonies being shared and music they each one shared their story. Each one, we just listened to what their, their story was. And um, that kind of from that perspective, you, just listening is such an important part of, of ministry is actually probably one of the most important uh, instructions that we felt like the Lord said, be listeners. Really listen to what their story is and as a result they really did they shared openly i made made a joke about the one man that was at our table because <clears throat> he kind of covered up his his insecurities in that by all the th- things that he had done as a as a sinner basically and he actually had su- punched some guy at the at the shelter that day and um and part of the during the meal, his wife, that was with them, he was really quite disrespectful to her. Um, and again, I don't think he was being mean as much as he was trying to protect himself. And uh, at the end of the meal, and after there was an invitation to, to um, for ministry at the tables, I, I turned to the guests at our table and I just said, "I said to Ephraim, would it be all right if I washed your feet?" And uh, it was just quiet for a minute. And then I said, and after I've washed your feet, would you be willing to wash your wife's feet? And it was at that moment that it's like everything changed. Uh, it's like God sovereignly just began to settle down on us. And it, and we knew something was happening, even though we didn't know what it was for sure. But then as I began to wash his feet, um, he put his feet into the basin and as i started to wash his feet uh, my own experience was like the love of god just came down on me and i began to weep because it, in that moment i actually felt like i was washing jesus feet and uh as i wept my tears actually fell on <laughs> fell on his on his feet and uh i described it earlier as like a story out of the bible you know it's like the Spirit of God was there, and, and he began to weep, and then started to confess of his backslidden condition, and he wanted to give his life back to Christ. And then he, in turn, then went to wash his wife's feet, and the same things began to happen at that at that uh, exchange. And I went and share, uh, washed the feet of this single woman, and as I washed her feet, she had been w- watching everything that was going on at you know previous to that. And so she just received it right away and as I washed her feet I just started praying that God would show her that she had not committed any sins that he couldn't forgive her for. And and as I prayed that she just began she just burst out in weeping and confessing and asking Christ to forgive her and invited her him to come and take control of his life. So I thought I was going to serve and the truth was i was the one that got blessed uh, it really was it's it's an experience that i i don't know how else to describe that other than it was like god's heart was released as we served you know just as an encouragement too you know sometimes we don't even know uh that we're either you know we can be praying for or serving you know priests and kings of our next kingdom And it really is. It's really a privilege and an honor to be able to serve Christ in this way.
0: Yeah, give the Lord a hand. That's awesome. (laughs) I want to take the next couple minutes and just allow you to fill out that form if you feel led. There's really four ways you can be involved. You can come on that day and serve. If If you want to check the serve box, you want to come. I'm actually going to be leading the outreach part. So we're going to hopefully be sending a couple hundred people out on the street to hand out invitations and to share God's heart for the poor. Secondly, we can give, obviously. I'll just tell you how serious God is about the poor. We just got this testimony today from the office. Obviously, an event like this costs money, probably twenty-five to $30,000. We want to feed 500 of them, 500 people. And uh, we got a check today from a ministry that will give us a $10,000 check. As God's just, God's just... God's just funding this because he's really that serious about the poor and them being met with the gospel, them hearing the gospel, them experiencing the gospel. Um, Third way is you can mobilize your church. For those of you who maybe your church hasn't heard about this outreach, I have some mobilization packets I can give you. And the fourth way is to pray. And so if you want to fill those forms out right now, then we're going to go into just an opportunity for you to come up and get prayer ministry. I know it's warm and it's been a little bit long. And we're going to pass actually if you want when you're done we'll pass the basket around if you want to put those in there um you'll get a follow up so yeah I just want to invite you guys to the king's banquet just to come and get ruined I remember I've heard Blaine tell a couple different testimonies and that's what I got was that God wants to ruin us with his heart He wants to ruin us in his heart because we begin to recognize that we're actually in that same place whether we know it or not apart from God And so I'm just going to pray um, we're going to take a couple of minutes. You can continue to fill those out. We'll have worship on for a second, then we'll come back up. Uh, those of you that are new that want to meet upstairs and hear more about Communitas, you're welcome to do that. Um, those who want to come up and get prayer, we're going to have a prayer team up front. If you want to know more about King's Banquet, you want to ask questions, uh, Blaine and Lewis would be welcome to talk with you. Uh, they'll be in the back. And then uh, we just every time we want to invite you guys, if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, God wants to fill us. <laughs> God just is really passionate about filling his people and there'll be an opportunity for that as well as any of your other prayer needs. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll move into ministry time. So Father, I thank you for your heart for the poor. Jesus, I thank you for the humility and the love that you showed by making yourself of no reputation and coming and walking on this earth in humility, owning nothing, having no place to lay your head. God, I ask that we would join you in this journey of serving the least of these. God, of serving those who are in need. And Lord, we pray that you would touch many that are poor in this city with the good news of the gospel, that the gospel would go forth with power. For your name's sake, we pray Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we'll just put some worship music on if you're still filling that out. Otherwise you're free to break up into groups, uh, get prayer from each other. Good prayer to pray is God, give us your heart for the poor. Give us your, show me those people in my life that I'm called to reach out to and give me what's on your heart for them. And then if you want to hand that sheet in, there'll be a basket up here. If you want to come up for prayer, you're welcome to do that. Bob, come take it. Bless you guys. Also, there's a bathroom there. Offerings in the back. Paul offering too.
1: All right, so any newbies, I will be up here and uh, happy to talk to you, pray with you, what have you. Upstairs. So, everyone, thanks for coming. You're loved. And, and there's a basket right there. So put your form in the basket. Thank you.